Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. You are throwing a wrench into all this. What happened on March 6th of 1820? When the Missouri bill passed both houses, it's the first Missouri compromise. Thomas Jefferson wrote, this is like a fireball, a fireball through the night. And he knew this. This was the death knell. He said, rather than celebrate, we should be mourning. Well, maybe commemorate might be more of a neutral. We're going to commemorate our anniversary. I'm Sarah Fenske. Today is a special day in these parts. Today, Missouri celebrates its 200th birthday. Pop the champagne and cue up that official state song. Way down in Missouri, where I heard this melody. When I was a little fellow on my mammy's knee, the old folks were humming. Banjos were strumming so sweet and And that is the Missouri Waltz, performed by none other than Johnny Cash. And joining us today with some highlights from Missouri's 200 years and details about the state's ongoing celebration is Steve Belko. He is the executive director of the Missouri Humanities Council. He's also a member of the Missouri Bicentennial Alliance. Steve, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. So, Steve, I understand a reporter recently asked you if Missouri's founding fathers were here today. How would they feel about where Missouri is and, and how things are going? You said they'd be proud. Really? They'd be proud of Missouri? Oh, yeah. They're, yeah, this raucous group of Missourians. Uh, I think uh, what we are today is not far off of what we were. And uh, I think they'd look back on it, good and bad, and say, well, from point A to point B, hey, Looking good. So, so you say not far off from where we were. Obviously, a lot of things have changed in, in 200 years, but we're kind of, as you say, a raucous bunch. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt our entire history is uh, definitely there. We'll rival Texas in that any day. Um, it's just, uh, I, I think the, the pride would come in and just, uh, I mean, our wealth of, of, of people that um, have contributed, not just to the state, but to national history and uh, I mean, literature and music and art, military, defense, um, agriculture, commerce. Um, I'd put it up against any other state. Um, so it gives me, it gives new meaning to show me uh, to that. So, um, yeah, Missouri is just not a flyover state. There's, there's so much here. And it's one of the reasons I returned. Um, I've been gone 17 years, and I said, i got to get back, and I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think the, the founding generation, you know, between point A and point B would say, Woo, we've, uh, we've come a long way. So many St. Louisans have a somewhat complicated relationship with the rest of the state these days. Um, looking for some points of pride that can unite us. I want to go back to this idea of some of the people who've lived here, who've done big things. Um, who's a Missouri resident that you'd point to as, as having been a bright light? <laughs> there, there are tons of them, for, for sure. And uh, I, I, I'm a, you know, a student of the early republic, Jacksonian America, so I always kind of focus on my period. I know it's kind of selfish. Um, 
But, um, yeah, I, I kind of look back to some of the commercial interests, I guess, of early St. Louis, the business leaders, and they weren't always getting along and, you know, didn't always do the best things with each other and Native Americans and things of that nature. Um, but for St. Louis alone, um, I, you know, I could just throw you off and say I'm going with the Cardinals. I'm going to go with Rogers, Hornsby, Stan Musial, and the whole history of the Cardinals. Come on, that, that's got to be one of the greatest you know, pride of St. Louis. And, and that's where my family's from since uh, the territorial period. And so, uh, um, so you, t- you take a lot of pride in that baseball team there. That's a pretty yeah, far you know, cry not, from, from yeah. the age of Jackson. That's true. It's the only thing I can really get into. I usually don't. I mean, there's so, I mean, just great personages through, through our history. Um, you know, for education, um, literature, like I said, music. And so by picking out one, I always feel like I'm kind of insulting the rest of them or, or you know something of that nature, but um, you know we've had a, you know, we've had a president, and I think it's a, a great president. And this so, is the Harry um, S. Truman. Yeah, yeah. And so it's uh, I always I have to tease my fellow historians. You know, since I don't even get to the Civil War in my history, but I said, well, I don't like any other president after you know it has to be Truman. So uh, <laughs> I think a, I, a you know, lot of Missourians could probably agree on that one. Boy, yeah, it seems like yeah. if, if there's anyone that everyone could rally around, you'd have to think maybe it could be Walt Disney. Oh, yeah. You can't. Uh, <laughs> trying to think of any reason why somebody would not rally around him unless one of his earlier films had too many cartoons that weren't accurate. But, yeah, Walt Disney is definitely one of them. And I always think uh, we work closely with the Highway 36 Heritage Alliance, and uh, they're calling that Highway 36 from St. Joe to Hannibal kind of, you know, the, the way of American genius. And that's kind of just a microcosm of the whole state. Um, from Walt Disney to Pershing and Bradley, and uh, everybody forgets, uh, and I, I don't know his first name, but his last name's Lear, and I believe that's the Lear Jet. So uh, Walter Cronkite, even though it was for a while. So um, it just shows you, even Mark Twain to the Pony Express, uh, the variety of our history. And we do got to be proud because we are the first state west of the Mississippi. We're not going to count Louisiana because a lot of it's east of the Mississippi, but. Uh, Missouri is really that first one really looking westward. Um, and, and that so, way of American genius you mentioned, this is just one highway that, that was home to all of those people? We do want to... Yeah, wanna... and, I missed, and I left some out, and I know I'm going to get a call from some of the nonprofits along. They're going, hey, wait a minute. Uh, uh, you forgot about so-and-so. Well, we only have, you know, 10, 15 minutes of max. I can't list them all. But they have a website, and it's just, you know, I mean, you could, you could pick Route 66 and look at the... Americana and American culture just along that route. Uh, um, And that's just, you know, one of many. We're developing um, the Trail of Tears through Missouri. By far the most miles of the Trail of Tears. And so it's not the happiest of journeys, but uh, there's so much along that route that so many Missourians don't know. But with Missouri Humanities, we want to make sure that story is told. So uh, a myriad of stories in Missouri. And I, I put it up against a lot of other states. Yeah, I mean, certainly as far as history goes, so much happened here. Um, you mentioned the Trail of Tears. I mean, this is something that we we should not be proud of, um, what happened here. And, and in just a bit, we're going to dig into Missouri's founding um, with a local history expert, uh, the Missouri Compromise, which certainly had uh, some very dark ramifications for a lot of people. Um, but that history, as you say, that history is very impactful. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'll... No other state entered the Union with greater fanfare, and I'm not even sure that's the term to use, 
than Missouri. Maybe Some greater controversy say, is, is the yeah, term. Yeah, or dispute, if you, if you want to put it that way. Um, you know, Texas, I think, is a far second. But some people say Kansas. But no, it was Missouri. Hmm. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it's the first one that had, I mean, this unbelievable controversy uh, to the point of, um, and it wasn't going to break out in the Civil War, but, you know, there was a lot of threat to that. Uh, sectional disharmony, sectional discord. And so, you know, and everything funnels towards St. Louis. I mean, we are the gateway to the West, all the westward trails. And so age of manifest destiny really kicks off here. And so everything funnels towards here. And, um, you know, that, that was an indication. And our compromises and our crises of admission really kind of showed that. And so, as, as you say, this state was founded in this moment of great discord. It took a massive compromise to get this through. Now you've been heavily involved in this effort to celebrate 200 years of Missouri statehood. Have we been able to put that controversy behind us and, and come together for this celebration? Oh, I think we have. And I actually, uh, the word I always use, because I think it's more appropriate, I know other of my colleagues use celebrating, celebration. Well, maybe commemorate might be more of a neutral. You know, we're going to commemorate our anniversary because uh, you can't celebrate some bad things. Um, so, but but that just in my mind shows that yeah, we have. I think we've done a a wonderful job. The bicentennial commission, uh, the alliance, that, you know, predates that. Uh, I love these partners. I love working with them, and I think we've done a great job of trying to be incredibly inclusive of everything. And that's tough to do for our state. But I'm proud, and I think we've done it. So there have been so many events. These events still go on. Uh, Missouri2021events.org, if you want to see what's coming up in, in the coming weeks as these bicentennial celebrations continue. I'm curious, Steve, what has been a highlight for you? What's one thing you've attended or been a part of that, that's felt like a significant event? I, you know, and I don't want to be selfish on this, but I think and we've had partners. But we have a massive traveling exhibit uh, touring through the state. It's in Springfield right now, Springfield uh a Green County Library, and I think it's going on to the State Fair, I just learned. And so I'm very, the, the putting that together, um, the partnership with the Kinder Institute of Constitutional Democracy at Mizzou and other partners that help with, with us, that was fun. And I, the funny thing is it doesn't has nothing to do with the bicentennial because we only tell about the years 18, 18, 18, 21. Hmm. Well, technically, we're not here, so I was kind of, hey, guys, we're not even part of the bicentennial. We only get us to statehood. So, but so, I really enjoyed that, and I think uh, – the educational programs out of there have been uh, wonderful. I would have never uh, published uh, my current book if it wasn't for that, and I'm grateful for some of the contributors and the Missouri Press for that. Um, so, hey, I'm just uh, it kind of brought me back to Missouri statehood, where my PhD is in. But when I got with the humanities, you know, a lot of that dissipated, and it brought me back. And so there was a little bit of sense of pride on that. And my office is just one block from the first Capitol on Main hmm. Street in Old St. Charles. So I was like. This is kind of just where it all started. St. Charles, Missouri. That's great. So today is finally the day. This is the 200th birthday. Um, how are you going to celebrate on this particular day? <laughs> so uh, I'm going to throw a wrench in this whole thing. I have always been uh, March 6th, 1820. That's our real statehood. You <laughs> so are throwing a wrench into all this. What yeah, happened on March 6th of 1820? When the Missouri bill passed both houses. It's the first Missouri compromise. The House and Senate got together. Clay's compromise. They passed it. Sent the bill three days later. Monroe signed it. President Monroe. March 6th. Missouri can form a constitution, create a state government. There you go. So are we but celebrating we, the wrong date today? I always argue, and I, yeah, I think so. But it, that's just for jest. Um, for the rest of the country, 
the history books, it's today, it's mm-hmm. August 10th, um, when President Monroe signed a presidential proclamation. Let's get this over. They get a star, put it on the flag, move on. Um, so, but it's just fun to have all that in between. But the, yeah, we screwed it up in between. It's the Missourians um, that pushed us off to August. So it's our fault. So we can claim it. Well, for the celebration, I feel like um, the very fact that you've acknowledged today is the official day, this counts as <laughs> celebration enough. So Steve Belko, Executive Director of the Missouri Humanities Council, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been, been a joy. Thank you for having me. And Steve is also a member of the Missouri Bicentennial Alliance. And to join in on Missouri's Bicentennial celebrations or commemorations, whichever term you prefer, check out Missouri2021events.org. And as we celebrate this birthday, here's another rendition of the Missouri Waltz. This is played by the University of Missouri's Marching Mizzou Band. Coming up, the dark impact of Missouri's statehood. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. Now, just before the break, we learned about the year-long celebration of the state's bicentennial, a date that apparently exists in some controversy. Uh, But we'd be remiss not to talk about another celebration. This one examines the political compromise that made Missouri a state and its real-world implications. That, of course, is the Missouri Compromise, the 1820 agreement that allowed Missouri to join the Union as a slave state. When the compromise was declared unconstitutional in 1857, it sent the country rushing headlong to civil war. The way the Missouri Compromise affected real people is the focus of the 2020 Mary Meacham celebration. And joining us today to tell us about that work is Angela De Silva. She is the director of the Mary Meacham Committee and a historian, preservationist, and teacher. So Angela, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. So, Angela, we all learn about the Missouri Compromise in school, even kids who grow up far from Missouri. But we don't always think about the impact it had on individual human beings. What drove your interest in focusing on that? First of all, my interest is in all general uh, Missouri black history because it has been so edited out of um, uh, uh, public consciousness, I'll put it like that. And it has always bothered me. I am a fifth-generation descendant of Missouri slaves on both sides. And I remember as a child listening to my grandmother and my great-grandmothers talk about um, what had happened, what had gone on. And, um, and especially my grandmother. My grandmother was raised by her grandmother, who had been a slave. She was Is- Isabel Lackland Reed. She was owned by the Lackland family of Lackland Road out in Overland. And um, the, the Lacklands had a contract with the Union Army to deliver uh, fruits and vegetables to Benton Barracks, i.e. Fairgrounds Park today. And um, they 
my grandmother talked about all of her grandparents' friends that were all ex-slaves that would come and talk about the old days Mm. and what it was like. And so as a child, I absorbed all of that, and I couldn't get enough of it. And as an adult, I set out to prove or disprove or to learn more. And so you have these family stories, um, such a close personal connection to all this. Is there a lot of other material to draw on that that illuminates these stories? Yes, and it's amazing that... um, the WPA slave narratives that are located in the National Archives and the Library of Congress, um, it's got to be about, I think about over 2,000 actual interviews during the uh, 1930s when uh, professors and teachers uh, were, were unemployed. Somebody came up with the brilliant idea of interviewing the slaves. Now, you have to remember, this is the 1930s. This is almost like 70 years after the Civil War. And these people were dying hundreds a day. And nobody, up until this point, had asked them <laughs> what it was like to be a slave. All we had is the um, the romanticized lost cause um, uh, idea of happy slaves singing in the field and how they loved their mistress and masters, and that was it, okay? So, but we have another body of knowledge that we can draw from, and very few people seem to know they exist. Hmm. So these interviews, this helped inform this project. And we want to encourage people, you're here today to promote this video that the Mary Meacham Celebration put together. This is an hour-long video. It is such a good, interesting history of the Missouri Compromise and how this played out for some different people. One of the people that you portray in this, uh, you don't portray, Mm -hmm. somebody else portrays, and we hear his story, this is York. Tell us about who York was. Um, York actually grew up uh, with William Clark in Kentucky, um, and um, they had spent their, their boyhoods together, and uh, and York had traveled with William Clark throughout all of his military escapades. And when they got the contract, I guess you could call it, um, from Thomas Jefferson, there was no doubt that Cl- William Clark would take York for several reasons. Number one, he was huge. Okay, um, he was a big guy. He was a very good big guy, and um, he could he could carry a lot. And they had no idea how much um, heavy lifting, so to speak, was going to have to happen. And the other thing that they didn't realize at the time was how. Um, York would be perceived by the Native Americans that he ran across. Hmm. And um, as it turned out, um, and then again, let me give you just a little backstory. Uh, Native American warriors, when they did something great, like, you know, slew a whole bunch of buffaloes or whatever, um, they would come back to the camp and rub black ash from the fire all over their bodies um, as protection, as big medicine, as good medicine. Well, here, these tribes, like the Arikara, had never seen a real live black man. So from their culture, this was big medicine, okay? This was living proof. And so, um, and he was huge, he was affidable, um, and, you know, uh, Indian uh, uh, warriors would throw their wives at him thinking that, you know, just the proximity of her to him would rub off on them. I mean, it was just, and it really helped ease the uh, the trip um, along the way. There were times, he was an excellent hunter, for example. Um, there were times when several uh, other people got desperately ill and he nursed them back to hell. Here, but the problem with all of this is when they get back, 
Okay, they've been gone um, uh, for uh, he's uh, for four years. He had a wife down in Kentucky that he hadn't seen in that length of time when they get back. And um, William Clark sends everything to Thomas Jefferson and everybody disbands. Everyone is paid because this is considered a military expedition except York. Mm -hmm. And when he goes to um, William Clark, William Clark said, you know, don't be ridiculous. You're a slave. okay?" And second of all, he said, then can I go visit my wife? And he told him no to that as well. He went. He, you know, just had had enough. And he goes to Kentucky, visits his wife. And here's the thing, comes back under his own volition. And when he gets back, William Clark has him professionally beat. Okay, so we also know if you watch the video, what will happen toward the end, even the National Park Service, nobody truly knows what happened to York. Um, after, you know, after this expedition. So whether he was forced to remain as, as, as an enslaved slave. person or whether he was, was able to get his freedom somehow. That is correct. We do know that um, William Clark sent him to a nephew of his um, and that was still in Kentucky and said, um, if he doesn't change his attitude, send him down south to um, uh, to a harsh master that will give him an attitude adjustment. <laughs> so that's, that, that's the last we hear of him. And that's became, uh, that was in a letter that William Clark wrote to his nephew that wasn't found until maybe 20 years ago. So mm. that is the last word, if you will. It doesn't seem too optimistic right there. Not at all. So York, he was living in the Missouri then territory. Um, that was all, uh, I don't know, maybe about 12 years before Missouri's first petition for statehood, 14 years before before Missouri's first petition for statehood. That happened in January of 1818. Um, so at this point, um, enslaved people are common throughout the Missouri Territory? Exactly. Even during the territorial period, um, we know that there was a census taken in 1804 when the U.S. takes over um, uh, the, the territory, if you will. And even at that point, there were over 5,000 slaves in, in the territory. But by 1820, um, Blacks made up 15% of the population that was here, and um, both enslaved and and free. So we were always not like Mississippi and Alabama numbers, but a pretty good part of the population. Um, and you know, it, and before we get started on this, I, I'd like to back up some if we can. Um, we really need to back up to seven to the Northwest Ordinance of 1787. And again, this is a, a, a document that's really uh, time out of mind, but it's very important because it's only one of two um, lasting pieces of legislation that came out of the Continental Congress. And the, there was a war between France and, and, and Great Britain, and France was losing badly, so he asked his cousin, the King of Spain, to come to his aid, and he did, and they still lost. And so, as punishment, France will lose most of its territory, including the Canadian, uh, uh, Eastern Canada, um, to Great Britain. But in the interim, um, France had signed over the Louisiana territory to Spain for them entering the war as their support. So in the Treaty of Paris in uh, 1762, um, France cedes the Louisiana Territory to Spain, okay? Now, again, we forget here in St. Louis, all we really talk about is our Spanish, I mean, it's our French heritage, Mm -hmm. but we were under uh, Spanish control for 40 years. Hmm. And so um, the... 
in that 40-year period, um, Spain will come will come in and, and and administer the territory. And again, we we don't know a whole lot about um, the laws here, except for there were uh, some territorial laws. But one of the things I'd like to point out that if you were a slave born in 1760 here in in the uh, the uh, what they call the uh, the Ville uh, Saint Louis uh, Saint Louis. In 1760, we were under French control. The French did not believe in manumissions. They were very paternal, and they felt like their slaves were like family. We do know from early translated records here that um, that uh, the white owners would uh, would tend the baptisms of of their slave um, uh, of the, uh, uh, children under their control. Um, we do know that uh, marriages were sanctioned under the original French codes. Children under fourteen could not be separated from their parents. Now, this is what's in in effect here in 1760. Now in 62, this has been deeded over to France, to Spain. Spain, on the other hand, believes that every slave should have an avenue to freedom. They hmm. really don't condone it, okay? And so we do know, again, there's records here like Esther, who belonged to John Clay Morgan, that Esther had was able to appeal to uh, the Spanish commandant and get land grants. She was, you know, just like land rich, but she was still uh, in a state of unfree. So... Spain believed in manumission. Then 1804, third government takes over, and the Americans bring a totally different flavor of racism into the picture. Okay, So at that point, again, you go from not being free because of paternalism, paternalism to having a chance to be free under the Spanish because they don't condone, and then under the American, skip it. Okay, not happening. Okay. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, all in 44 years, okay? I mean, this was something. Now, I'd like to go back again to the Continental Congress. So, in the, when Spain uh, is, is under this control, Great Britain pulls up its borders. Um, they want all this land. They pull up our borders to where Canada border, where it is right now, and they vacate. I mean, they used to own so far deep into the United States, it's probably like six miles from the Iowa border. And they pulled their land, their border up to above the Great Lakes where it is now. This vacated all of this land in the new United States. Thomas Jefferson and the Continental Congress goes, you know, we need some kind of control over this land. And so to be able uh, to sell it, to get, to get people, to uh, pioneers to come in, uh, to become taxpaying citizens. And so they decided, they created the Northwest Ordinance of 1787. In it, it said this new land will be divided in no less than three, no more than five new states. And it'll turn out to be five. Um, we're going to get um, Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, um, Ohio, well, Ohio was going to be the first, uh, and some of Minnesota is in here as well. And it's, this is going to come up later, real important, for Wisconsin, regarding Wisconsin and Illinois. Well, and I, I do have to cut in here. I just want to remind people we are talking today to Angela De Silva, uh, the director of the Mary Meacham Committee, of, and we're getting to the Missouri Compromise of 1820. Right. This is what our state was founded on. Um, and we have a lot of history here, but I need to get us up to 1820 here. Right. Okay. Um, in this, okay, in the Northwest Ordinance, um, several things will happen. And, and I said Wisconsin and Illinois will become out of that. Under the Northwest Ordinance, 
two of the things that become very important. Number one, it stated there shall not be slavery or voluntary servitude in any of this land. So this is when the North, the free North, becomes the North as a destination for slaves. And the second, which is most important, that will come out of, again, is comes down to the Missouri Compromise, is the writ of habeas corpus. And a writ is when a court issues a document that says, I want to see something. Habeas corpus means the body. And so when under the Northwest Ordinance of 1787, this became a pathway for people of color to get their day in court. Now, coming down from 1787 to 1820, actually 1818, Missouri will qualify for um, uh, for to be able to ask for an enabling act for Congress. And what that happens is we're a class A territory. And a class, once you hit class A territory, 60,000 voting eligible white men, okay, then you can apply. You send a certified census to, to Congress. Congress says, okay, you know, hit it. You know, you can now work on, on, a comp, on your constitution. Becoming a state. Becoming a state, exactly. So, um, but in their original application, they want to come in as a slave state. Congress is balanced, 11 slave, 11 free. If Missouri comes in, it would be the 12th um, uh, slave state, and the South would have the upper hand in the Senate. No go, all right? So they tabled it. 1818, they didn't do nothing. But the summer of 1819, Maine breaks off from Massachusetts and applies for statehood. They're so far north that there's no doubt that they're going to come in as free. So in 18, uh, so coming back in 1819, uh, an enabling act is issued to Missouri saying, okay, now you can come in as slave. Write your constitution. Now, this is where it gets weird, okay? On March the 6th, um, President Monroe did sign the initial um, Missouri Compromise. Now, why do we even need a compromise? Okay, because the the northern states didn't want not one more northern state, not a one. Okay, but they said, all right, in the compromise, Henry Clay, what he got is the South can have another slave state, but the North gets several things. Number one. It would, Missouri will be the only state carved out of the Louisiana Purchase. So that leaves all that land, all the way to the Rocky Mountains, slave-free, okay? The next thing that they wanted as a part of the avenue, the, remember the writ of habeas corpus in 1787? In the Missouri Compromise, it reaffirmed, made it stronger, okay? Up until now, between 1787 and 1820, a, a northern court could send a writ down to Mississippi saying, we want to see so-and-so, and Mississippi right across the, across the face of it, he died. He mm -hmm. ran away. Totally disregard, okay? So the Missouri Compromise said, no, you can't do that. Any writ issued by any court uh, flying the American flag has to be honored by another court flying the American flag. And so, so many of us think about this compromise as sort of the original sin, that the birth of this state was inexorably linked to slavery. And, and obviously that's true, but you see some positive outcomes yes, from I this do. compromise. Yes, I do. The third big thing that came out of it, first of all, it locks out slavery out of a massive chunk of land. Okay, a massive chunk of land. Second of all, with the writ of habeas corpus reaffirmed, the South can no longer disregard those, disregard those writs that are coming down there. And the last one, once free, always free. It was an enterprise to snatch free people off the street and sell them into slavery, okay, or to challenge 
uh, great grandma or grandma's will uh, because she's you know uh, freed her, her um, uh, super um, loyal maid all these years, and so some nephew wants to challenge it. Okay, and so much of that went on, and so once free, always free. Now again, why is this important? Because this is the legal premise of which Dred Scott will sue. Hmm. Why his master took him to Illinois and Wisconsin, which comes out of the Northwest Ordinance of 1787. It says what? There'll be no slavery or involuntary servitude. When Dred Scott's trial, again, he will go back to the Northwest Ordinance of 1787 and the Missouri Compromise of 1820. Now, this is 1846. Why once free, always free? He lived in those two states for seven years to plant crops. And the uh, case legitimacy for residents is did you plant and harvest crops? Yes, he did. Okay. And so that opened the doorway to that very pivotal lawsuit. <laughs> now, obviously, he lost, but that the first set one. off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that set off some things that set off the Civil War. So really, in Missouri, I don't want to say we have things to be proud of here, but in some small way, this very terrible compromise, this led to freedom. It, it, it gave an avenue to the courts. We wouldn't have had it. Okay, Uh, some people, I mean, but also, you know, when the Missouri Compromise was passed, Thomas Jefferson wrote, this is like a fireball, a fireball through the night. And he knew this. This was the death knell. He said, rather than celebrate, we should be mourning. Okay, because this isn't going to go away. I think that the intensity of the feeling um, that the Missouri Compromise at that uh, so early in our history showed that slavery was not going to go over well in the future. Well, that's a perfect way to remind people to check out this video that the Mary Meacham Celebration has put together. You can find this at greatriversgreenway.org slash Mary hyphen Meacham. We also have that linked on our website, so you can go directly there. You can also search for Missouri Slave or Free on YouTube. It's a great one-hour program. Also some additional educational materials there. Um, Angela DeSilva, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. St. Louis you. on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.